each week um, to be able to kind of look and see um, throughout the week what people are saying and how they're reflecting. And, you know, basically what I, what I see on Sunday mornings as people are walking out is they say, great, thanks, uh, you know, like the sermon, didn't like the sermon, um, can you please do better next time, things like that. And, but I don't get to really kind of interact most times throughout the week with what people are thinking or their thoughts. And so opportunities we have as we got to reflect on, on what people were saying uh, about uh, confession, which of course Scott preached on last week, um, is for me at least uh, very powerful just to know that people are, are continuing to wrestle with what it means to, to live lives of confession. Uh, and, and as I've said before, it kind of helps us to, I think, develop even more intimacy um, with one another. Confession does, but as well as being able to kind of throughout the week kind of say, this is this is where I am. And I would invite you uh, to go back. There were a couple of comments on the blog last week that I thought were incredibly powerful, um, especially, I might say, for people at ZPC um, uh, who have been living over the last few years, just to be able to see a couple of the things that were said that, um, that I thought spoke especially um, to us right now. So I would encourage you to do that. Um, Thank you to the Ackermans for leading us uh, this morning in worship. John Grabiel uh, is uh, in Haiti doing some mission work there. And uh, Scott Shelton is um, going to Mexico to do some mission work there. So, um, so you're stuck with me. And so, um, but it is good to be here with you as we continue our Lenten series uh, on Dig ZPC of, of trying to put ourselves, asking how, how can we put ourselves in a position in which God can then come through and genuinely work uh, in our lives. And so today we're going to talk a bit about fasting and we're going to look um, at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8 verses 1 through 20 to kind of usher us uh, into trying to understand uh, what it means for us to be a people of God today. So I invite you to hear these words. This entire commandment that I command you today, you must diligently Observe, so that you may live and increase and go in and occupy the land that the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember the long way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness in order to humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. He humbled you by letting you hunger, then by feeding you with manna with which neither you nor your ancestors were acquainted in order to make you understand that one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The clothes on your back did not wear out and your feet did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a parent disciplines a child, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Therefore, keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with flowing streams, with springs and underground waters welling up in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land where you may eat bread without Scarcity, where you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and from whose hills you may mine copper. You shall eat 
your fill and bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. Take care that you do not forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commandments, his ordinances, and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. When you have eaten your fill and have built fine houses and lived in them, and when your herds and flocks have multiplied and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then do not exalt yourself, forgetting the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness, an arid wasteland with poisonous snakes and scorpions. He made water flow for you from flint rock and fed you in the wilderness with manna that your ancestors did not know to humble you and to test you and in the end to do you good. Do not say to yourself, my power and the might of my own hand have gained me this wealth, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth so that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your ancestors as he is doing today. If you do forget the Lord your God and follow other gods to serve and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord is destroying before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's pray. God, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our heart, will be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen and amen. Our three girls have been incredibly annoying over the last few weeks. Can I get an amen from my wife? Thank you. Yeah, um, not from all of you. Gee whiz. So they have been whining and whining and whining. A witty has some teeth that are kind of coming in, so that, that, that's a part of it. And, and, and Shaughnessy and Adelie, these past couple weeks, have been wrestling a bit with illness, and, uh, and all three of them are really struggling with trying to fall asleep when it's still so bright outside. Uh, but thank you, there's a good amen. So, and so many times when we've gone out of late, um, our times have been short because of breakdowns that have occurred uh, either in the middle of, uh, of dinner or in the middle of a Home Depot. Uh, and so it has, it has just been kind of getting on our last nerves. And, and, and so Megan and I, several times over the last few weeks, we have looked at each other and we haven't had to say anything, but we have known that we are thinking the exact same thing. Why did we have these children? <laughs> My guess is it's a question that people have been asking since Adam and Eve. Why did we have these kids? And I mean, honestly, we've just been, I mean, almost pulling our hairs out at times. And so finally this week, 
Earlier this week, I had an epiphany. I was reminded of why it is that we have kids. It wasn't when I saw them kind of resting peacefully or, or, or the way when I come home, they come running to me. That's great. But, but I realized that the reason that we have kids is because of the fact that then we get to go to amusement parks again. <laughs> There's no other reason, I don't think. I mean, we, uh, we, so, because earlier this week, as everyone's talking about spring break, and as I was kind of thinking about, well, you know, I'm not going on spring break right now, but maybe in the summer, I, I realized that our kids are almost getting old enough that we can go to amusement parks. And so I just started thinking about uh, the roller coasters and the, 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 the log flume and the games and the funnel cakes the funnel cakes, and, and I started just thinking about all those things, and I was like, oh, this is going to be amazing. And so as I began thinking about that, I started just reflecting more on the times in my past when I was a kid, when I would go to amusement parks. And, and most often when I went, we didn't have an amusement park that was real close, so we, we would go together as a church youth group, and it was always the most anticipated trip of the year. And so we would pile into one or two church vans, just depending on how many we had, and we would, we would begin to drive. We would go to Atlanta for us. That was the closest one, Six Flags over Georgia. And, and, and as we got closer, you could just, you could feel the anticipation growing. And, and when we first saw that, that roller coaster off in the distance and the height, I mean, the volume within the van just started growing exponentially. And before you know it, we were talking about what thing we were going to do first and, and how many times we were going to ride a particular roller coaster and how many of those aforementioned funnel cakes we were going to eat and, and how big of a stuffed animal we were going to win at one of these games and on and on it would go so that by the time, aren't you getting excited? So by the, by the time, I guess all the kids who are excited are gone, by the time we actually pulled into the parking lot, I mean, that van was rocking and we were staring at the door. Because as soon as we saw a little bit of light from the door, we knew that fun was right there. We knew that the promised land was right there. That was when the youth pastor, who had been driving, turned around and he just stood there, or not stood there, sat there. And we knew that we all had to be and so we sat there holding back our infinite adolescent, our infinite adolescent energy as much as possible to listen to what the youth pastor was going to say. And he gave us, as he always did, a remembrance speech. Remember, he said, that you are never to be alone. Remember. What time we are meeting for lunch. Remember that you are always to have a chaperone. Remember where we are meeting before we leave. And remember, he said, most importantly, uh -huh, that you are a reflection, not just of yourself or your family, or our church, but God. And I hope that when people see you today, that they will see Jesus. Soon as that last word was out, 
the van door open, and we were gone, eating up of the joys of Six Flags and about 95% of what the youth pastor had said, we had completely forgotten. And I bring that up this morning because it seems to me that this passage in Deuteronomy is really a before you get out of the van and go into the Six Flags, a.k.a. the promised land. I want you to remember some things. You see, the Israelites have been wandering around for 40 years in the wilderness, waiting to get out. And so God says, before you leave this van, before you cross over this Jordan and go into this promised land, I want you to remember. I want you to remember that you were hungry. I want you to remember who it is that provided for you. I want you to remember who is the Lord. I want you to remember that you are not the Lord. And why did he do that? Because he knew that as soon as they crossed over into that land of abundance, there was a good chance, a great chance, a 95% chance that they were going to forget everything that had happened before that as soon as they began to eating of the abundance that surrounded them, that they were going to forget everything about God. Because God knew, as someone uh, so poignantly put it, that affluence often leads to amnesia. That affluence often leads to our forgetting God. And so it is that God wanted them to remember before they ever took one step out that they had been hungry and that they had woken up and that they had seen manna and that they had celebrated God that God had provided for them. That there had been a time when they were in the wilderness, when they were thirsty and a tap on the rock provided water. And for so long, they had realized so clearly how dependent they were on God that before they went into the land where there was going to be olives and figs and pomegranates, I'm not even sure I've ever had a pomegranate, but I'm sure it's good. And dates, and wheat, and barley, before they went in and had all of those things that they remembered who God was. Because God was scared for us. He was scared for the Israelites. It's ironic, and Walter Brueggemann points this out, that oftentimes the more gifts we receive, the easier it is for us to forget the gift giver. The more we have, the easier it is for us to forget that everything we have has been given to us, which is why in the 17th verse of this passage, God says, make sure you don't begin thinking that all of this you have achieved by your own Now, sometimes the difficulty for a preacher 
is to take something from that has been written thousands of years previously and figuring out how it fits in today. And sometimes it ain't so hard. And this is one of those times. Because while it's very true that when I drive around on the, uh, the streets here of central Indiana, I don't see perhaps lots of fig trees or olive trees or pomegranates or even barley. It may be there. I don't think I'd actually know if I saw it. I do know that when I drive around, I see a lot of marshes and Targets and Costco's and Walmarts and McDonald's and Outbacks and Olive Gardens and El Rodeo's and I could go on and on and on. There is lots and lots around us. There is an abundance around us, is there not? And in some ways, we struggle even more, I think, than the Israelites because we, we, we not only forget perhaps that these have been given to us from God, but we oftentimes forget that, that the food that we're eating comes from anywhere at all. We think it's just there. I mean, my mother grew up on a farm in western Kansas, and so every day when she woke up, she saw nothing but wheat around her. And so every day when she woke up, she knew how dependent she was on this wheat. Every day when she woke up, she saw in her father's face how concerned and how dependent he was on the weather that was around him, on whether or not it was sunny or rainy or what a hailstorm could do to his crops. Every day when she woke up, she was surrounded by the reality of how dependent she was on God, the gift giver. And every day when I wake up, I can go to the store and get whatever it is that I want. Every day when I get up, I can go to a restaurant and I can order something and not give it a second's thought as to where it has come from. It's just there. It's magic. And whether it's rainy or sunny, I don't ever think about the impact it's going to have on food. I think, well, is it going to make me messy when I try to go to the restaurant? That's the only thought that I have. And my guess is that most of us are probably in a pretty similar place. I mean, sure, if you go a few blocks north here, you will see some corn. But, but by and large, we just Go because food's just everywhere. We live in a land of abundance. And I wonder how many of us realize how that shapes us. I wonder how many of us ever give it a moment's thought as to how that, how that shapes how we understand God as the gift giver. How many of us ever ask whether or not our affluence is leading us in some way to forgetting God. And I realize that we're living in an affluent part here of Northwest Indianapolis, but I would say even more so that most of us as Americans, the vast majority of us are affluent when it comes to the world. And I wonder how many of you have asked the question, not if that affluence is shaping your relationship, but how? How many of us are cognizant with the fact that we aren't worried by and large about our next meal? How many of us have ever given thought to how that shapes our relationship with God? Because make no mistake about it, it does. 
The question is whether or not we are cognizant of it. Which then leads itself to the next question, which is, what then do we do about it? What do we do about the fact that we live in a society where there is food all around us, where we rarely are ever hungry, like the Israelites were hungry? If God knew, as he did way, way long ago, good grammar, long, long ago, that affluence would lead to amnesia, then what do we do to try and ensure that that doesn't happen to us? God says we're supposed to do what? Remember, right? So one of the things clearly that we could do easily is we could give away everything that we have and then we would no longer be affluent and we would feel the effects of how dependent we are on God. So the homework for this week for everybody is to give away everything that you have to me. And um, now that's something we actually talked about a few weeks ago, not giving away everything we had, but about the importance of simplicity and, and of simplifying our lives. But, but God didn't tell them to burn down all of their fig trees or to, to, to burn down uh, everything that they own, burn down all the wheat and the barley. What he kept saying again and again and again is remember. And yet what we've talked about before is the fact that when we think about remembering, we can't just kind of say intellectually, okay, I'm going to try to remember. Remember God, remember God, remember God, remember how everything I have is a gift. That's what we intellectual Christians try and do. We try to just use our heads and it does not work. Using our heads rarely changes how we understand things. It rarely changes our behavior. We have to do more than just think, which is why I was very intrigued by the most famous part of this passage. As you were reading over this, these 20 verses, was there one particular phrase that stood out to you? Now you're rereading it. It's in verse three, where it says, one does not live by bread alone. Now, do you remember it from this passage in Deuteronomy? No, from where do you remember it? Jesus in the wilderness. The temptation of Jesus. And, and what had happened here? Jesus had gone through the waters of baptism. And where was he? He was in the wilderness. And how long had he been in the wilderness? 40 days and 40 nights. And he was not eating. He was remarkably hungry. Now, what does that sound like? Let's think about this. The Israelites had go through the waters of the Red Sea. And they were hungry. And they were there not for 40 days and 40 nights, but they were there for 40 years. And so we have this great kind of reenactment. That's what Jesus is, is doing here. He's, he's reenacting the Israelites' journey through the wilderness. He is practicing what the Israelites had to do as a clear sign of his dependence on God. Jesus and God the Father. Jesus is sitting there and he is showing us what we do when we remember. That Jesus is not just saying, well, just think back to what happened. Jesus is actually practicing what the Israelites had to go through. 
He is practicing what they went through as a way to remember. And we've talked about this, the importance of if we want to remember something, of doing more than just thinking, but actually practicing it. And what Jesus is doing here is he is practicing it because hunger, hunger will inevitably force you to stop what you are doing. You can't get away from hunger. Anyone who has been hungry will tell you they can't stop thinking about food. More so than me saying, okay, well, today at 12 o'clock, I want to remember God. I don't have to put in a reminder if at 1130 and 1145 and 12 and 1215 and 1230, my stomach is growling. And it's the importance of practicing what the Israelites were doing. A year and a half ago or so, a little over that, Megan and I had just moved to Grove City, uh, Pennsylvania, and I was not in a very good place. We had loved where we were in San Diego. It was uh, just a, a fantastic place. I mean, who doesn't love San Diego? And so, uh, and so we, we, we were living there. I was working for an organization that I thought was just fantastic. I loved it. Uh, and unfortunately, that organization was not doing well. And I knew that before long, they would no longer be able to pay me. And so I said, well, we've got to find something else. And so we, we found an interim position, an interim pastor, which is usually relegated um, to, uh, how do you say this, to more mature people. Uh, and, so, and, and so it wasn't exactly what I thought we were going to be doing. And we were living um, in, in Grove City, which felt like a kind of the middle of, of nowhere. Um, and, and, and so I sat there on the doorstep of 40, thinking this was not how I had pictured it even just two or three years ago. And so I was in a pretty down place. And I did what many of us do when we are in down places, which is not, let me figure out how to get out of that down place, which it, but instead, let me eat. And so I started eating. Oh, it was a good time. And I started eating. And I started eating. And before you know it, there was basically one pair of pants that I could still fit in. And, and, and that button, oh, it was growling. I knew at any moment that thing was going to jut out, right? And so, and so it was everything I could do. And I thought, finally, I said, okay, I got to do something about this. This is not good. Sweatpants can only take you so far. And so I'd been seeing these commercials uh, about, about Weight Watchers online, okay? This was kind of a, the men's version, right? Charles Barkley, uh, uh, he would advertise it for a little while. And it's great because you didn't have to go do the kind of touchy-feely kind of groups if you didn't want to do that. And, and you could do it almost anonymously. Nobody needed to know. Okay, so this is perfect for me. I wanted to be discreet. This is actually my coming out moment here. I've never told anybody uh, about this, except for Megan, of course. So... Um, I said, all right, all right, I'm going to do this. So I, I went online, I signed up, and, and, and they give you a, ma- a certain amount of points that you can have, right? I know that some of you are acting like you have no idea what I'm talking about, but you know. So, um, so it was based on kind of your age and your, your, your weight and your height. And, and so I had, as I recall, 36 points. All right, that sounds pretty good. And, and they assigned each kind of food a certain amount of points. And I, I, I think it was around 10 o'clock on the very first morning, it was about t- 10 o'clock uh, in the morning that I had polished off those 36 points. <laughs> and I thought, this is going to be a long day. But one of the initial things that I noticed 
is, is that how, before I had kind of gone, I don't call it a diet, it's a lifestyle change. Before I had gone on that lifestyle change, when I was hungry, I would just eat something. It didn't matter what it was. It didn't matter if it was healthy or not. I would just eat it. And when I wasn't hungry, if there was something that looked tasty, if someone had dropped off a cookie, why not? If they dropped off a dozen, why not? And so I, I was just kind of eating whatever it was. And, and, and so all of a sudden, as I got on this point thing, everything that I ate, it, it, everything began to change because there was that, that cookie and that was four points. That's 11% of what I could have all day. I couldn't even eat a dozen in one day anymore. And, and, and the, the aforementioned a while back, my grande sugar-free vanilla, non-fat, no water, chai tea latte, that was eight points. That's almost 25% of what I could have. And so all of a sudden, I began to see this food very differently. It became very precious. And if I put a cookie on a crumb, if there, or on a napkin, if there were any crumbs, I was making sure, oh, those things were getting done. I was, I was almost literally licking the chai out of the cup. Everything became precious. And in that moment, as I continued on that lifestyle change, I began to see each morsel of food very differently. It literally was a gift. And all of a sudden, rather than just kind of consuming whatever was around me, I held it as, as precious. And one Marjorie Thompson, she talks about fasting. She says that so often in societies like ours, food becomes something that we consume, oftentimes to fulfill an emotional void, rather than something that should be eaten with, with moderation and out of gratitude for the gift giver who has provided it for us. And sometimes it takes our actually just stopping from eating in order to begin to kind of actually think about what it is that is before us, about the gift that is there. And one of the things that surprised me the most as I engaged in this several month kind of mini fasting was how it began to change not just my waistline, but how it actually changed the way I began to see life that it forced me to be more grateful for the things that were there. It forced me to see that there were limits to what I could have. It forced me in that hunger to feel vulnerable and to remember how dependent we are on the God who has provided us these gifts. And I think in an affluent society like we are a part of, that we need to take seriously how we can practice making sure we are not forgetting God. And one of the things Richard Foster points this out, he says that in an affluent society, it is perhaps even more important for you to think about fasting and not eating than it is to give money because we can easily give money without sacrifice. But if you are hungry, you feel the sacrifice. And so the homework for us in this next week is to try to, at least two consecutive meals, if you can do more, that's fine, but try to not eat. Now, we realize there are people who have medical uh, circumstances that make that difficult. Now, don't make it up. Um, but if it's real, we understand that. And so we, there's a couple other things that you can do. But for the rest of us, I want to encourage us to, to really try and not eat as a way of remembering that we do not live on bread alone, but that what is most important to us is the God who has given us that bread.
That in those times when you feel those hunger pains, that you will be reminded of who God is and what God has provided for you. And that perhaps even you will consider once a month or so practicing this. Because I promise you that it will begin to shape not just how you see food, but how you begin to see everything. And that perhaps if we continue to do this, we will be able to more richly understand the psalmist when he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So let's join the Israelites this week. Let's be willing to be hungry as a tangible reminder to us of the great gift giver. As a reminder that we do not live by bread alone. Amen.